Hi, it's Steve Rode, your Get Out of Debt Guy. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to learn more about money, credit, and debt, or you're one of the many good people out there with bad debt and you want it to go away. But stick with me. Together we can make that happen. Either way, I'm here for you, and I believe a better and more financially successful future is ahead. It can be within your grasp. I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you find this or any of my podcasts helpful, please take a moment and leave a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Your feedback and opinion matter to me. And if I've done a good job, your review helps others to find the podcast as well. And while you're there leaving your review, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Last piece of housekeeping. If you have a question or comment you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast, you can leave me a voice message at getoutofdebt.org slash message. Or leave me a question for me to answer on my website by going to getoutofdebt.org slash question. Thank you so much for being a great listener, and I'm sending you a giant virtual hug in return. And now, on with the podcast. All right, you there? I am here, Steve. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is a another illustrious Get Out of Debt Guy broadcast and uh, podcast, actually, and we're here with the the intelligent, witty, wise, and kind Damon Day, debt coach. In, in, infamous. I go with infamous. That's funny, because I go with infamous. <laughs> 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 All right. I guess we should be serious. So let's talk about some serious stuff here, Damon. Oh, by the way, uh, I had pizza for lunch. What did you have? Um, it's only 1230. I have not had lunch. Oh, okay. Uh, but I got to tell you, I, this is the first time I've ever had a slice of pizza with pineapple and mushroom on it. It was surprisingly good. Well, I'm doing the intermittent fasting, so I prefer not to talk about food okay. for at least 30 minutes. I can't eat until one. <laughs> All right. You got a half hour. You'll be, you'll be eating when we're done with this. But uh, speaking of eating, this is a horrible segue. It has nothing to do with the topic. Uh, let's talk about a, an issue that a reader brought up. It's a very good issue. Uh, he was observed that the Department of Education and everybody talks about student loans as being financial aid instead of actually using the word loan. And he's got a point. I mean, it does kind of sugarcoat the fact that you're going deep into debt getting that education. What do you think? <laughs> I think I read the wrong article. <laughs> <laughs> Which article did you read? I read the one about uh, SoFi getting slammed by the FTC. Oh, I thought geez. that's what we are talking about today. Day late, dollar short. That's what you are. <laughs> So what what are we gonna be talking about? All right, no, 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 we're talking about. <laughs> hey, at least our listeners get what they pay for, you know. Yeah, this is a, a little window into uh, my how my brain works. Yeah, Squirrel. yeah. This is usually the way we talk, except there's a lot more swear words. <laughs> um, okay, so let me bring you up to speed on the article that you were supposed to read. Uh, Good idea. Okay, which is the Department of Education and everybody else talks about student loans as being financial aid 
which is really not like talking about what the thing actually is. It is a loan with serious consequences. So this is something that you and I have talked about for a long time, which is does society and parents and counselors and everybody else kind of gloss over the fact that this is substantial debt and not thinking about it as, um, you know, just an innocent kind of financial aid thing that you might be getting. Oh, I, I don't even know if they so much, I think saying glossing over is, is almost too kind. I mean, you know, mo- most, uh, you know, most of these financial aid offices and counselors and things, it's like they almost deem it as their job to find money wherever they can to take this student and get them into some kind of college as if college is the, you know, the be all end all. And I, I'm just kind of skimming the article trying to catch myself up here. So <laughs> I know we're talking about, but one of the things that stuck out was in your article, you've got this big, bold warning. This product may cause lifelong debt and keep you from saving for retirement or buying a house. And I bet you 99% of, of, you know, uh, future college applicants don't get sat down and have that kind of a talk even one time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because our new or our current secretary of education says that the blame for too much student loan debt rests on the lap of the 18 year old student who's applying. When in fact, the point you just made is very true. The financial aid office at any school for profit, nonprofit is there to facilitate getting the students butts into seats so they can sell education and that's how they make money by generating tuition yeah and, and the problem is i think a lot of you know financial aid offices they look at their goal right i mean their, their whole reason for being essentially their goal is to like i said find the money so when they get the child essentially into a college they deem that as a success rather than looking at you know whether this number one should this person even be going to school what are their goals in life what are they what are they trying to accomplish? And it's gotten to a point, and I, and I think it's it's finally turning the corner. Unfortunately, it's taken trillions of dollars of debt and, and a whole generation of kids that are, um, you know, really up a creek to, to figure this out. But I think we're finally starting to turn a corner where people aren't just dedicated to this blind mantra that I must go to college or otherwise I'm a loser. And, and that kind of you know, it's, it's not just the 18 year old kids, you, you know, put it back on the parents' shoulders, too, because you say, well, the, the mom co-signed or right. the dad co-signed but if we're talking private loans. But you got to realize we, we're, we're living in this society where what parent doesn't want the best for their kid. And then everybody is told this mantra that your kid will be a loser unless they go to college. And it's so easy to go to college because you can just sign here and then your kid will be able to go to school. And then it puts the parent, even if that parent has reservations about the actual, you know, numbers of what's going on. If the problem is, if the parent has those reservations, they would feel like they're being a bad parent. Yeah. Because no, they're going to deny their kid this exceptional right to go to college, even if it might not be a good idea, because it just puts them in a spot where they're having to say, no, I, I, I don't want you to be successful in life, even though that's not true. But that's the perception and that's the dilemma that a lot of parents face when they're wondering, you know, whether or not they should be signing these loans. But if they can't afford to pay for college themselves, their choices are sign here and worry about it later or tell little Johnny that, you know, they can't go to school. And little Johnny thinks that that's the only way he's going to be successful in life. Well, in the article that you almost read, 
uh, <laughs> I talk about that loans should come with a, a, a sticker on it, you know, kind of like a Surgeon General sticker. And I said that the students should be presented with these five facts. So I'm going to read the facts, and then you tell me what you think about each one, okay? Fact one, this is a loan. You will have to repay this loan with interest. The repayment cost of this loan will be more than the amount you borrow. It may be substantially more. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to look at college just like you would evaluate any other purchase in life, whether it's a house or a car or whatever, you have to say, okay, how much money am I going to borrow to get this degree? What is the realistic likelihood of, you know, what kind of job I can get? What will I be making? What will my life be like? Where will I be living? And then look at what's the interest and how does that interest compound? You know, what's the loan actually going to be by the time I actually graduate? All right, right? let's, jump, and, let's know, jump to fact two because we're getting ahead okay. of ourselves there. Fact two, if you... I thought you wanted, I thought you wanted me to respond to each fact. I do. Pod. But you're responding to fact three, and we're almost there. Well, that's because I haven't read the article. Well, I know. If you weren't sitting on the toilet, browsing through your phone, this would be a professional broadcast. Thank you. All right. Fact two. If you don't finish school or obtain your degree, you will still have to repay this loan. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah. You know, I'm always surprised by the people that that contact me and say, you know, I didn't finish. Why do I owe the loan? Yeah. That would be like, well, I bought the car, but I don't drive it, so I don't want to. Yeah, 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 it's free. All right. Yeah. Here's here's fact three that you were just so eloquently answering. The degree program you are enrolling in typically typically results in a salary of X. This may be insufficient to be able to afford to repay the amount of money you are borrowing. Your chosen school has an X percentage graduation rate for this degree program. Yeah, what I said before. Yeah. Okay, fact four, <laughs> your obligation to repay your student loans may result in the reduced ability to save for retirement, purchase a home, or live on your own. We already talked about that. And the final one, fact five, failure to repay your federal student loans may result in a garnishment of your wages, forfeiture of any tax refund, and a garnishment of future Social Security payments. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I have so many clients that, you know, they're either, whether it's parent plus loans or even, uh, you know, regular Stafford loans that they took out 20, 25 years ago, but now they're in their fifties and sixties and we're trying to create a, you know, a retirement plan essentially for them. And they're dealing with, you know, multiple six figure federal student loan debts that, you know, you can't negotiate and settle to, 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 you know, the extent that you can with private loans, you can a little bit, but not, not very well. And these loans literally will follow you. These federal loans will follow you until the day you die or you pay them off. Or in theory, if you get to the end of one of the federal repayment plans that uh, is supposed to offer forgiveness. But, you know, you can't even bank on that. You can, you know, we don't even have enough evidence yet of these things being <laughs> successful. Yeah. Well, for example, uh, somebody uh, contacted me this morning, sent me an email through the getoutofdebt.org site. And they said um, they are just be, just able to make their minimum federal student loan payment on the 10-year plan and wanted to know how they could reduce their debt, which is an interesting question because um, you could reduce the payment, but that would actually increase the debt. Yep. So um, everyone is now so strapped 
that they're looking for ways to reduce the payment, which a lot of times is short-sighted. You know, I, I get reader questions and, I, and you talk to people that actually the best thing for them to do uh, if they want to reduce their student loan debt as fast as possible is even think about bankruptcy, remove the other debt out of the equation and pay the loans off fast. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it really is unfortunate that bankruptcy has not been completely eliminated from from student loans. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, it pretty much is, except for some isolated cases where, you you know, you get an attorney and you can go after them. Yeah, it's tricky uh, stuff. The private side. But but, uh, you know, the, the fact that you can't even get rid of these loans in bankruptcy, uh, you know, I, honestly, I, I think it's a borderline criminal as far as what's gone on. So people really need to think long and hard if they're going to be borrowing money for college. Um, when I whenever I, I don't hear it as much as I used to hear it, but college debt is usually not good debt. I used to hear that all the time. Yeah, it's good debt. Debt good debt. Good it's debt. like, no, it's not. <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, I'm uh, a little bit older or much older than you, but uh, in my generation, we really didn't have student loans. You paid as you went. And uh, when you went to college, uh, you graduated with no debt. Well, yeah, and that was just 20 years ago. And so, I mean, you start, you know, kind of going down the rabbit hole, right? And you say, well, wait a minute, why, why is college so much more expensive now? Because back even 20 years ago, you know, and I've got a, a business finance degree from a state school. It wasn't an Ivy League or anything like that, but I'm a pretty smart guy, you know. Um, and, and, you know, back then, even though my father, I was fortunate, my father was able to help, you know, pay for my school, but he wasn't wealthy back then. Uh, he was able to pay kind of as I went per semester. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mean, it was something like you would just, it's just ludicrous to think about it today, but it was only like, maybe 1500 a semester or 2000 a semester for for a finance degree. I mean, I have a finance degree for less than $10,000 a year, you know, and and now we look at it and say, why has tuition skyrocketed? And a lot of it is going to circle right back to easy money. I agree. Easy money. And the more federal and private student loans, mostly federal student loans that were passed out, encouraged, Schools that were now generating lots of money to invest in hard assets, bigger campuses, bigger buildings, everything else that they now have to support. Yeah. Yeah. And because back then, especially when you were going to college, but even when I was going to college, you know, at, at 1500 a semester, you could get a, a full or a part time job, you know, as a student and maybe have your parents help supplement. And, you know, you could go to college without having to borrow and graduate with a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars hanging around your neck and then struggling to get a job. And then, you know, it's try what happens to a lot of these college kids is they keep holding out for this hundred thousand dollar a year job just out of college because they're looking at this debt going, there's no way I can pay this on, you know, go be a bank teller for forty thousand dollars a year and start paying these student loans. I can't do it. And and it's just there's not enough of those high paying jobs. And you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Mike Rowe. I mean, I think he makes a lot of sense where a lot of these, what people would consider blue collar jobs, they pay really well. And a lot of these guys, they skip college or they go to a trade school or whatever it is for a year or two, and they get out and they're making seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 a year working on cars. Well, I was talking <laughs> to somebody the other day and they were saying, well, I need to, I need to borrow so I can go to college. And I said, well, how would you like to make $140,000 a year right now without going to college? They're like, you're kidding me. So no, go be an air traffic controller. You know, there, yeah. there are lots of fields 
You don't need this. Everyone is like watching lemmings off a cliff. The other thing that drives me crazy, too, is when people say, hey, my child is going to this prestigious school and I, I can't afford it. And, and I say, what if they went to the co- local community college for the first two years and got their associates at $75 an hour, you know? And they're like, oh, no, they can't do that. Well, you know what? Yes, they can. Yeah. And, and the reality is, I mean, I know in certain circles, it might, whoa, what school did you go to or whatever? But for the most part, a college degree is literally just kind of a, uh, you know, get your foot in the door into a job interview in, in most cases. And that's it. And it's and, and it's not going to come down to unless, again, it's a very specific subset of jobs. But for most people, it's not going to matter whether you got the degree from, you know, Cal State Fullerton or Cal Poly or freaking Yale. You know, it's, oh, you got a college degree, so you meet, check all these boxes, you meet these requirements, you can come in for an interview. And you know what? If your college degree costs $30,000 and the other guys cost hundred and fifty, you know, who's the smart one? <laughs> right, right. Well, two things come to mind. Uh, you know, one is that old joke about what do you call the doc, the guy that graduated last in his medical class, you know, doctor. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter if you need a degree. Uh, then get the most uh, inexpensive, affordable degree that you can, which cracks me up in business because if you're hiring someone to be a project manager or, you know, a managed finances in any way, you want to hire the student that graduated with no debt. <laughs> yeah. Because they prove that they can manage it. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the next article I want to talk about that I know that you haven't read, but you don't need to read this one to talk about how to hide from the debt collector, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is common sense stuff that uh, you and I deal with every day for people that have debt. Now, I want to preface this by saying that hiding from the debt collector is not always the best thing to do. But if you are feeling overwhelmed and unable to handle things, it's much better to take a little brain break and get yourself together than it is to blurt something out inadvertently to a debt collector that's going to bite you in the ass later. Yeah, I'm skimming the article as we go. I'm trying to, <laughs> what angle are we taking here? <laughs> I just want to, I just don't want to hear you flush on the recording. Okay. Um, yeah. No. The, so, I mean, the angle is when I think that people um, misinterpret what it's really like to deal with overwhelming debt. Uh, When you are deep in debt, you know, it affects all parts of your life, your health, your relationships, um, you know, how you deal with the day, your mental health, are you depressed? How are you able to cope? And so oftentimes the best thing is for people, if they say to themselves right now, I'm going to start tackling my debt, what should I do? My answer is generally nothing. You know, take a couple weeks off, Put every notice that you get in a little shoebox and we're going to deal with it. Um, You know, get the phones to get quiet so that you can recoup um, and get a little internal strength before we work on developing a plan. Because, Damon, how many times have you seen somebody blurt something out with no plan in place and it only makes the situation worse? Every time they get on the phone with the debt collector. (laughs) So I'm not saying that people should not talk to the debt collector. I'm saying take a deep breath, 
come up with a plan either by yourself or with a wise advisor like, for example, Damon Day, who doesn't read my articles, and, um, you know, come up with a structured approach on how you're going to deal with it. So the first thing is the two ways that people are getting inundated by debt collectors. And debt collectors don't call when you're late on day one, right? You're... Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes they do, but, <laughs> you know, usually it'll be about a week, you know, it'd be a friendly email reminder or something like that, typically in the beginning. Right. And then you'll start getting some auto dial uh, friendly uh, voice messages like, oh, just to let you know, you've missed your payment. Give us a call. If you're having problems, we can help you out. You know, well, I hate to, my, my I should start another website called Common Sense Guy, um, <laughs> because when people say to me, Steve, how do I make the phone stop ringing? My answer always is, you know what? Change your number. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I can't because my grandma has that phone number. Yeah. Well, you should give her the new one. Um, but, you know, there are cheap ways that you can get phones. Um, prepaid cell phones. Go out and get two cheap prepaid phones. And one is a number you give only to friends and family. And one is a number that you use for collectors. I, I could do you one better than that. I have an app on my phone. It's called Burner, B-U-R-N-E-R. It's an awesome little app. It allows you to create you know, other numbers with your normal cell phone. And so you can actually have other numbers that you can give debt collectors or whatever. And then when they call that number, you could set it to where that number is, is blocked. So it, whenever anybody calls that number, might you could set it to maybe drop down a little notification just to let you know but it won't actually ring the phone or you can set it for no notifications at all and just and it, it even has a separate voicemail so you know you can decide if you want to go listen to the voicemails or literally you could just never listen to them it depends on what your strategy is well here's the thing i would much rather have somebody uh answer the phone and talk to a collector when it's not interrupting them and they're feeling stressed about it at work or when they're not prepared to talk uh, with a plan to the collector. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Get the voicemail if you. It, and again, it, it all it all depends on the strategy. Because my my general rule is, do not call a debt collector unless you have a specific reason and a plan for why you're calling the collector, and and and, and you need to have some kind of a res, resolution in mind because. The only reason they're calling is to get a payment from you. That's it. So anything short of that is just going to be this round robin conversation that's going to end in frustration for both. for both of the parties on the line. Yeah. And at that point, you might as well not call at all unless you have something that you're going to offer. Otherwise, it's a waste of time for both of you. And the way I look at it is you're doing the collector a favor by not wasting their time because you don't have any money for them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's how mentally you can think. I'm doing them a favor. I don't want to waste their time. <laughs> <laughs> well, sticking your head in the sand uh, forever is not a long-term strategy. But, no. you know, if you need a break and come up with a money, a plan, talk to a bankruptcy attorney, talk to Damon Day, talk to somebody, then that can give you a break. Now, th the next oh. thing is, oh, and if you do get that burner and uh, the, the burner app sounds great, or you get another prepaid phone or whatever. Uh, do not call the collector toll-free or direct on the line that you are now using for family and friends. <laughs> yeah, because they'll capture that number. That's right. That's Article 2 on the Common Sense Guy website. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, number three is mail. So if you're getting a lot of mail um, and you 
want to stop it coming. You, let's say you got a roommate or somebody else and you don't want them to see all the problems that you're having. There are virtual mail services out there. Like, um, I mean, the one that comes to mind is Earth Class Mail, where, mm-hmm. you know, you got a street address, your mail goes there, they scan it and they send you an email. Um, and there are two things, two reasons why I like using one of those services is because uh, if you're disorganized to begin with, when you use a virtual mailbox like that, where your mail comes in and gets scanned, then there's always going to be a copy there in case you need it. Um, and this, the second thing is that uh, when you're getting ready to work with somebody like you or somebody else, then you can forward that information to the person you're working with. So it makes it easier. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. But yeah, because a lot of my clients, you know, they, have, they open the mail and then they have to remember even though I always remind them, be sure to send me any letters you know that you get from collectors so I can see it and I can see where we're at. And I try to keep it as simple as possible because most people don't have fax machines anymore. Right, I know. And, and, and even you know some of them more and more have scanners. But I always say, hey, look, I just need to be able to read it. So lay it flat on the table, snap a photo with your phone, and text it or email it to me. And as long as it's not blurry, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, if they had something like Earth Class Mail, it would, all they'd have to do is see it and forward it. Right. So one of the best ways to deal with a debt collector, I think, is contacting them with some sort of plan in place and don't overcommit. Have an idea about what you can really do and then stick to that plan. Because generally what I see happening are people overpromising the collector that's the most aggressive or yells the loudest and um, then not able to deliver on another creditor, which is really a higher priority. Yeah. Cass, how do you stop your wife from calling you? And she just called me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what the interruption just was? That's what, yeah, Kathy was calling. Probably, <laughs> what, what do I want for lunch? It's probably what she was going to ask me. Yeah, yeah, it's because yeah, it's your lunchtime right now. That's funny because my wife just texted me and said, calling that time. <laughs> oh, because my wife just texted me and said, don't eat the roast beef. It's gone bad. <laughs> File that under helpful tip. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good to know. I'm glad she scoped that one out for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I had a good point. I'm sure it was brilliant, but I totally forgot what I was going to say. Well, you know, here's what I'm going to say. It's, it's been a great pleasure doing another podcast with you. And uh, I think it's time for us both to depart. And uh, hopefully we'll do these more often. If you have a question you'd like to ask. Just go to getoutofdebt.org and ask me a question, and hopefully we'll get it on a future podcast. And that's what we'll do next time, Damon. We're going to answer some reader questions. And and next time I'll try to read the right article first. (laughs) Why? (laughs) It makes it so much interesting when I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is Steve Rode, your Get Out of Debt guy. If you want more advice or you want some free help, be sure to visit me at the getoutofdebt.org website. And while you're at the site, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for even more practical tips and advice.